Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blessed and Beautiful Homestead podcast. Today is episode number three. I created this podcast and when I did that, I sat down with a notebook and a pen and I decided to write down some topics of shows and things that I would like to do with you guys. In addition to that list, I also pray very hard and ask the Lord to reveal to me what he thinks I can um maybe encourage or inspire other people on. Maybe something that I think is a great idea um, isn't a great idea, or maybe it is, but it's meant for a later time and there's something more pressing that would be more helpful to you. So today's show is just that. I sat down in prayer with the Lord and he told me, you know, I think there may be some mamas out there that need to hear this. So here we go. My name is Tina, and I am the creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Blessed and Beautiful Homestead. Welcome to my podcast. I love to share from scratch recipes, homeschool life inspiration, our homesteading journey, and just all things life with you. This is a space where we are going to get down and dirty, raw and unfiltered about motherhood, marriage, our culture, and our spiritual pursuit as believers. Thank you for joining me today. I am so glad you're here. And my hope is that I can be a blessing to you. What we are going to talk about today is salt and light and what God says about that in the Bible. You guys have probably heard that phrase, being the salt and light. Christians are called to be the salt and light. What exactly does that mean? And how does that relate to you as a mother a wife in your home and maybe a, um, a father. If there's any guys listening to this, this also applies to you. Um, so I wanted to go into this a little bit with you guys today because I actually have some struggles with this myself in my own home. And my goal is to be super transparent with you guys because what I really wanted from this podcast was to share my own personal experiences so that hopefully somebody out there may be able to relate and we can kind of, you know, get through that together and to encourage you and let you know that you're not alone and you're not the only one that's feeling that way and maybe going through that. So to get started, I do want to start off with reading Matthew 5:13, and this is the verse in the Bible that talks about salt and light and what God says about that. So he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on stands, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You guys, this these verses are paramount to us as believers and the role that we play in our homes um, as as mothers and wives, okay? So what do we use to preserve things? Like you guys know here on the homestead from scratch cooking, right? We use salt. I use salt in my pickles. I use salt in my fermentation. We use salt to cure meats. And why is that? Because salt preserves it so that it doesn't go bad. So when the Lord talks about us being the salt, it's that we are to preserve his word and we are to preserve his truths and carry them 
them in to generations to come. And that was the charge that he gave his disciples, right? When he left and resurrected from the dead and ascended back to heaven to be with his father, he left the disciples with this mission to go out and share the gospel with the world and save as many souls as they possibly could. Well, that didn't stop with his disciples, you guys. That's supposed to be carried into the rest of us. So it's very important that we are the salt when it comes to God's word. And we share that not only with other people, but we share that with the people in our own homes. You guys, sometimes I think we're so worried about what's going on around us. We forget that it starts at home. Most of the problems that we're seeing in the culture today are because things at home are not the way they're supposed to be. Fathers are not leading their families the way they should be leading their families. Mothers are not leading their children and serving their husbands and serving the Lord the way that they should. Um, there's things being watched on TV that shouldn't be watched. There's music being listened to that has no place in a Christian home. There are um, friends that are hang, you know, being hung out with that really should have no place in your circle because the Lord teaches us in his word that we are to stay away from people that do not abide by God's word. Now, yes, share the gospel Try to bring them to Christ. Absolutely. Because you might say, well, if we don't ever associate with people like that, then how are we supposed to win them to Jesus? No, I'm not saying not to share the word and to try to win them to Christ and help them learn how they can be saved for all of eternity. But there comes a point where it is choice and it's free will and everybody has the right to choose. So if that person willingly and knowingly especially after they've learned about uh, the Lord and how they can be saved, if they choose to deny that and continue down the road that they're on, you have an obligation to turn from that person to a certain extent and not give them that energy anymore because it's going to corrupt you, right? The Bible tells us that bad company uh, corrupts good character. So think about that. There's a reason that it says that. Um, birds of a feather flock together. Misery loves company. These are things I've talked about before. And that is why the Bible talks about that. So bad company corrupts good character. doesn't matter how good of a person you are. If your circle only includes negative people that are living out sin in their lives, that is eventually going to rub off on you. So it's really important to understand that this all starts at home. We have an obligation to first raise our children and convict our spouses and, you know, convict each other, right? I expect Joe to convict me when I'm acting wrong or I'm out of line. And I also in turn convict him. Um, and we're called to speak truth and that's all there is to it. You can't tiptoe around that. Uh, and if you can't hold those that you love most dear accountable, then who can you hold accountable, right? So it starts at home, you guys. We need to be the salt and we need to preserve God's word. How can we do that? We're going to do that by praying. We're going to do that by reading his word. We're going to do that by sharing his word with our children and encouraging our spouse to engage in Bible study with us and our children. And there's some other things with that um, that I'll talk about here in just a few minutes about, you know, how we do things here in our home. So when it talks about the light of the world, you guys, it says when you light a candle, you don't put it under a bowl, right? If you put that candle under a bowl, what, what purpose is it serving? Nobody can see that light, okay? So the Lord is saying it doesn't matter 
how much of a Christian you think you are. If you put yourself under a bubble and you don't let your light shine, how can anybody see you? So we are not supposed to keep this wonderful, amazing gift of salvation that we have been blessed with a secret. We're supposed to share it with the entire world and try to bring as many people to salvation as we possibly can. So shine bright, y'all. Shine bright like a diamond. You know what I'm saying? We got to shine bright. And I always think of that song that we all heard when we were kids, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? We got to let it shine, you guys. And in today's culture, it's scary, isn't it? Because we feel like we're the only ones sometimes. So I want to encourage you that even more so when times are tough the way that they are, God is calling us to be brave and to be courageous and be the salt and light. And don't let people forget who he is. Don't let people forget what is right and what is wrong. Don't let people forget that they also have the opportunity to repent and have eternal salvation. All right, so now that we've talked about those couple of verses, um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, here in our home. So I will be honest with you guys and, you know, first put out this disclaimer. Joe is aware of the things that I intend on sharing on my podcast. We had a very long discussion about it, and I think that it's important to be transparent and it's important to be raw and real because if I'm not, then you might feel like you're the only one going through whatever you're going through when in reality, you're not. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm here rolling Joe under the bus because I'm not. And for goodness sake, I am not perfect in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So now that that's out of the way, let me jump into what I'm getting at. We have been married almost 22 years. And in our early years of our marriage, actually probably up until about maybe five or six years ago, Joe and I were, uh, you know, quote unquote, Christians, but we did not live that Christian life the way that God expects us to. Okay. Um, If you looked at Joe and I years ago, you wouldn't see not even a glimmer of the Lord's light shining upon us. Not a glimmer, you guys. Um, We were in our sinful ways. Um, You know, I did a lot of partying when I was younger, um, first in the military. Uh, Joe has never been a partier, but I think where Joe probably fell short was his lack of leadership when it came to our home and leading his wife and leading his children. So we have both fallen very short of the glory of God um, in the early parts of our marriage. And I feel like um, maybe some of you out there can relate. It always seems that one spouse over the other has a closer connection with God. Um, And that's not everybody. I know that there are some amazing couples out there uh, that are, you know, hard charged for the Lord and they're kind of on that same level. Well, for me personally, that's not my experience. Um, If I don't pull the Bible out and start reading it, nobody does. If I don't set my alarm and get us all up and motivate everybody to go to church on Sunday, nobody does. If I don't strike up conversation about God at our kitchen table, nobody does. Now, I will say, um, with the exception, Parker uh, does 
strike up a lot of conversation about the Lord. But that's because him and I are invested hardcore in our Bible curriculum and we read the Bible together. So Parker is learning to have this love for the Lord um, at a very young age. And that's already showing the fruits of that labor and the fruits of that commitment of sharing Christ with him is already starting to show. Um, so my little eight-year-old is reminding everybody before they eat, no matter where we are, let's bow our heads and Parker prays for us. Um, just little things like that. So it's very encouraging, um, to see the fruits of that dedication at such a young age. But I want to say, um, I am honored to take on this role in my family. I'm, I am a hard charger. I take the bull by the horns. When I want to do something, I make it happen. I go all the way. I don't, I don't halfway do things. Like if I'm in, I'm all in, y'all, like at the deep end of the pool. Um, I don't just tip my toes in. That's just how I'm about everything, whether it's, you know, having a relationship with Christ, whether it's my business, whether it's raising my children, um, it, being a wife, anything. I, I just jump all in and I go all out. That's just my personality. So I don't have an issue taking this role on, but sometimes I get a little resentful. Can I just be real with you guys? <laughs> I get a little resentful and you know, to be honest with you, I was in prayer this week about that feeling of resentfulness that I have towards Joe. Um, and as I was praying to God about my podcast this week, I felt like he was saying, you know what, Tina, you're not the only one that feels that way. And I need to share this with you guys. Now, I need to, when I'm in that moment of resentfulness, because I feel like it's all me, right? What happens if I don't do anything? Are we ever going to go to church again? If I don't break open the Bible, will anybody even know where the Bible is in the house? Um, and I get resentful about that. But here's the thing. I have no right to be resentful. No right whatsoever. If I'm abiding by Colossians 3.23, the Lord says, everything you do, do it heartily as if working unto the Lord, not for men. So as a mother and a wife and a teacher to my son in our homeschool, it doesn't matter if I'm the only one seven days a week that is initiating this walk with Christ. Because God says, you're not doing this for Joe. You're not doing this for Parker. You're not doing it for Lexi. You're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for me. God says, do it as if you're doing it for me. What a paradigm shift that is, you guys. Because when I'm feeling a little pissy and a little resentful because, you know, well, I'm tired on Sunday mornings too, right? I mean, I go all week and I'm the one that has to set the alarm and get up and wake everybody else up. You know, I get resentful about that. I'm like, can someone else set the alarm and get everybody up? How about someone makes me some coffee that that Sunday morning and motivates me to go to church because the reality is I'm not motivated every Sunday to go to church. I don't have a right to be resentful like that because if I was listening to Colossians 3.23, I would be doing it as if I was doing it for the Lord. Do you think I would be resentful and pissy if I was doing that for Jesus Christ? Absolutely not, right? So it kind of gives you a paradigm shift. We're not doing this for people, we need to look at it like we're doing it for the Lord because that is what we are called to do. So I want to encourage you, if you're feeling resentful um, about being the only person that's really striving for that relationship with Jesus, and maybe in your relationship with your spouse, you're the only one that really initiates things, um, or maybe even your spouse doesn't reciprocate 
to your excitement for getting in the word or your excitement about going to church or your excitement about leading your children and having like a maybe a, um, a daily devotional with your kids at the dinner table. You guys, I just want to encourage you, do it anyway. First of all, even though you think it may not be doing any good, it is doing a lot of good. And we are being obedient to Christ. So hold on to Colossians 3.23, okay? So don't grow weary in your efforts. Now, I will say that Joe has gotten so much better about being engaged with um, the Bible reading that we do with Parker um, and going to church on Sundays and things like that. He's gotten a lot better, but you guys know how it is as wise. We got to give that gentle nudge, right? There's times when he gets complacent. Um, I'm sitting down in the evening having a little bit of Bible reading time with Parker, and I might see Joe break out his phone and start scrolling the headlines. Talk about rage, you guys. Like, that's that resentfulness that I'm talking to you about. I'm like, okay, isn't there something I'd rather be doing right now? I'd rather be scrolling social media. I'd rather watch a Netflix show. I'd rather, there's a lot of other things I could be doing right now other than devoting my time to reading the word with our son and trying to raise him to be a godly man. I can get resentful real quick. And a little gentle nudge is all it takes. And Joe's like, oh my bad. Like I, I didn't even realize like it's happened before you guys. And I will say there's a difference between nagging and nudging, okay? I've done plenty of both in my 22 years of marriage. <laughs> and I am just now at 39 years old. Um, I'm 39 today, by the way, you guys. Today's my birthday. Woop woop. I'm just now realizing at 39 years old that I'm going to get a lot more response out of Joe by a gentle nudge, a soft voice, a kind spirit than I am nagging, putting him down, and driving him nuts. It's just, it's it's fruitless, really. Why do we do that? It doesn't have the outcome that we want it to have. They block us out. It's like la, 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 fingers in the ears, right? So take a deep breath, count to 10, and then come to your husband with a kind, gentle spirit and tell him, you know, when I sit down and I try to read the Bible with the kids, it, it hurts my heart when you're like off in another room and you're on your phone. Um, there is a chain of command that God has set forth in the Bible. God is the head, the husband is next, and then the wife, and then the children. That is the chain of command. That is the structure that the Lord has designed for our home. So a gentle reminder, you know, and don't tell them, you're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be initiating this. You're supposed to be, no, you guys, that's nagging. So a gentle nudge could be, I long for you to lead me. I need a rock to lean on when I feel weak. And the Lord has empowered you to lead me and I want to follow you. You guys, I could almost break into tears when those words just came out of my mouth because that is my heart right now. I desire to follow Joe. We got married so young. I was 17. He was, what, 18 or 19. And we didn't know anything, you guys. We were growing up together. But now at this stage in my life, I don't, I don't want to be in control. I, I've been a control freak my whole life. I've wanted to run everything. What I said goes. I wear the pants in the family. You guys, that has been my personality. I'm just being real with you. I, I was that girl that was like, oh, uh-uh. 
It's going to be done my way. And and Joe has a, a quieter spirit. He's soft-spoken. A lot of you um, that are friends, family of ours, you know Joe. He's soft-spoken, doesn't say a lot of words. So it's very easy for me to strong-arm him and to get what I want. And I've, I've grown to know that. Almost a little embarrassed to admit that. But I'm at a place in my life where I don't want to be there anymore. I want to follow my husband and I want him to lead me. So come to your husband in that manner and tell him just that so that he feels empowered. You guys, they're going to they're going to feel like, wow, OK, especially if you're like me and you have that type A personality where you're like, Mm-mm-mm, right. Imagine what your husband would think if you came to him with that soft spirit and you said, I need your leadership because I'm realizing that I am not strong enough to do this on my own. And I realize that God put you here to lead our family. And I want to follow you. I need you. Right? So there's a way to do that, you guys, and a way to empower them, um, to make them want to lead. Sometimes they don't lead because we won't let them. Holla. Okay, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We want to complain that they don't lead. We want to complain that they don't pay the bills. We have to pay the bills and do the checkbook. Uh, They don't take the kids to the dentist and the doctors. They don't this. They don't that. We want them to lead, but we don't want to relinquish anything. We want to control everything. We won't give them any room to lead. So we've got to give that space for them to lead properly. So I wanted to share with you guys some of the ways that um, I feel like I'm leading in my family. Um, And I don't mean leading better than Joe. When I say this, I mean leading as God calls me to lead, even as a wife, a mother, and a believer. And we're going to talk just a little bit about some of the women in the Bible um, that God chose to lead and he called them to a purpose. And I think that the Bible, uh, I don't think, I know, the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That The Bible tells us that. It wasn't just men just writing their thoughts down. It was literally inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. So the, the women that are talked about in the Bible, they're not there by accident, you guys. God has them there to speak to each and every one of us, okay, to tell us that we have a calling too. So some of the ways that I feel I'm leading in my family is obviously, first and foremost, I'm homeschooling Parker. Um, Joe is super supportive. He, he's so easy. He never puts me down. He never tells me I can't do something. He always supports me, you guys. And I have had some crazy ideas in our marriage, let me tell you. Because like I said, when I get an idea, I don't I don't waver. I don't, oh, well, what if this, what if, I'm not scared. I just do it. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? But I don't want to be 85 years old sitting in a rocking chair and going, man, I wonder if I could have done that. I wonder if I could have been successful at that. I wonder, no, I don't want to wonder. If I want to do something, I just want to do it. And if I can't do it, I just want to prove to myself that I couldn't, but I don't want to wonder if I could. So Joe has always been on board with all of my crazy ideas and homeschooling Parker, um, 
was one of them. And I say crazy idea because to a lot of people, that is a crazy idea. What? You're going to take your kid out of public school and you're going to teach him? You don't have a teaching degree. You know, people look at that like it's just absolutely insane. So, but of course, when I talked to Joe about the reasons why I wanted to homeschool, he was completely in agreement with that and fully supportive. And he even jumps in now if I've got a doctor's appointment or I got to run out to do something, he will take over and do Parker's lessons with him, um, which is really awesome. He's totally on board with that. So, Homeschooling Parker is definitely one of the ways that I'm leading in our family. Um, Teaching my son to grow up, to be a godly man, to fear the Lord, to think for himself, to have wisdom, and to be discerning about what is right and what is wrong. And I can do that best when he's home with me. Um, Everything we do is sprinkled, uh, the Bible is sprinkled into it because everything we do should have Jesus sprinkled into it. I guess let me just say that again because I think that that's really important. Everything we do should have Jesus sprinkled into it. The movies you watch, the music you listen to, the friends you hang out with, the language you speak, um, all of it. So homeschooling Parker is definitely one of the ways that I've taken the lead um, in our home. Another way is, you guys, I am very involved in everything that's going on with my children and my husband. So I have always been very involved in what Lexi is doing with her friends, what Lexi is doing with her phone, what Lexi's doing with her social media. I'm very involved with Parker, the friends he hangs out with, um, the things that he's allowed to watch on YouTube or Netflix, the music he's allowed to listen to, the language that comes out of his mouth, We are called to be involved, you guys. Let me tell you, there ain't no privacy up in this house. People are like, oh my goodness, you you look in your daughter's phone? You dang straight I do. Now, it's a little different now. Lexi is grown, 19. She lives at home while she's going to college. She's paying us rent. She's got her own job. And um, I don't go and snoop through her phone and stuff anymore. But I am still involved. And she knows that. And I've told her, it's, it's a weird it's a weird uh, boundary. These are uncharted waters for, for our family right now. It's very different when you have an adult child living in your home. So we have had some trials and challenges over the last year trying to find that space um, Mainly for me and Lexi, because we're both women. So naturally, we kind of tend to butt heads a little bit. She's a lot like me, whether she wants to admit it or not. And um, Joe is just kind of a quiet dude, like I said. So I'm very in her face and very involved. And so it usually comes down to me and Lexi having issues because I'm usually the one that's like, uh, that post that you put on social media, that's a no. <laughs> like, what exactly are you trying to portray to people? Um, now, let me just clarify, Lexi is is a very good girl, but there have been things that I've been like, that's going to attract the wrong attention. Like, why did you post that? There's only one reason why that would be posted. Um, so anyway, getting off on a rabbit trail there. So maybe another podcast on um, how involved we should be in our kids' lives. What is too much? What's not enough? Um, but I'll tell you, I am called to disciple my children. And part of discipling them is guiding them when I see them doing something that is taking them down the wrong path. So you guys, it's not always easy. Can I just tell you, sometimes it's really hard. Doing the right thing is hard. 
okay? Turning a blind eye and acting like you don't hear it or you don't see it or, oh, if I don't, if I don't acknowledge it, it's not happening, that is not the answer. That is the easy route. And dare I say, that's the lazy route, okay? We're not called to be lazy parents. We're called to be active. We're called to be engaged. We're called to be the light and the salt. And that starts at home with our children and our husbands, our spouses, okay? And I'm saying spouses because maybe there's a a, um, a guy that is on here and we're talking about his wife. So um, being the salt and light to our children. And you guys, I'll tell you, uh, the other, so another thing that really bothers me and that I can get resentful about, okay? And maybe you guys can relate. So we're watching a movie or Joe has a movie on Netflix or something. And it's F this and F that and F this and F that. And I'm just like, I don't know if it's because, well, I do know. Let me, let me scratch that. Since I have been in my word and trying to speak with the Lord and grow my relationship with him, you guys, my ears are pained when I hear and I see certain things, it's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard. And I'm looking at Joe and I'm like, Parker's like right there in the dining room. Like he can hear this. Do you, do you really think that, that that's appropriate? I mean, oh no, let me turn it off. You know, and he'll turn it off. Joe's really good about that. Oh yeah, oh, I didn't realize. Sometimes I'm like, how did you not realize? I don't get it. <laughs> Why am I the only one to be like, hello? Um, <laughs> but he's really good about that. And he always turns it off. But I'm just like, come on. And I feel there's been times where Lexi and Joe have been sitting down watching a movie. And I'll come over there and just straight up be like, are you guys kidding me? Like, for real? Like, um, there might be a little bit of sexual content. Um, not like anything crazy. We're not straight watching porn in the house. But maybe the kissing scene's getting a little too hot and heavy. And, you know, like, no. First of all, my son doesn't need to be seeing that. Second of all. My husband doesn't need to be seeing that, and neither does Lexi. There's just no place for it. Um, and Lexi and Joe will turn it off, and I feel like they get kind of upset with me. Maybe not so much Joe, but I felt it from Lexi a little bit, and it's just not the popular thing. You, you know, we're not supposed to be popular, you guys. If we were trying to be popular, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Look at the world we're living in. Hello. I don't want to be popular in this world. I don't want to conform to what's going on. So we're not supposed to try to be popular. We are supposed to be the salt and light and speak truth in every way. So the other night, Lexi and I were actually watching a movie. um, And Parker was asleep. Joe actually was out of town. And this movie had like this sex scene. And it was like, it was a comedy, you know, one of those ones that borders on, okay, this is probably like inappropriate because of all the sexual comments and innuendos and stuff. But I'm sitting there watching it. And there's this part where it's a sex scene and they're, um, it's a guy and two girls. Now they didn't get graphic or nothing, but it's just like kissing. And I'm just like, you guys, my whole spirit was about to jump off the couch. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and I know like Lexi's going to get mad if I'm like, uh-uh, fast forward it, turn it off, you know, because she thinks that I'm a little over the top with everything. And I finally couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, Lex, fast forward it. Like, first of all, it's a sin, okay? We are not to have threesomes. Sex is to be between a husband and a wife. That is God's design. So a threesome is a no. 
And I feel like watching that is enabling it. I feel like watching it is condoning it, um, condoning that sin. And then how does that make me look in front of my daughter? The one that I'm supposed to be leading, the one I'm supposed to be setting an example for, but I'm okay with watching a threesome sex scene? No. So, okay, cool. I'm not the popular one. Uh, Make fun of me. Get mad at me. I don't really care. Turn it off. Fast forward it. I don't want to see it because it bothers my spirit. And if you guys have... If you are growing your relationship with Christ and you're in your word, those kind of things should bother your spirit. We're supposed to hate what the Lord hates and we're supposed to love what the Lord loves. So there is no in between. There's no lukewarm. Uh, The Lord does not like lukewarm Christians. The Bible tells us that. He straight up says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Talk about getting in your business. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, get off the fence. You're either on that side or you're on my side. There is no in-between. So is it drastic? Yeah, but that's the way we're supposed to be. So that's another way that I'm leading in my family is I've really started to grow confidence in calling it and saying, nope, turn it off. If it's music, if it's movies, um, it it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to call it and we're going to end it. So that's, that's another way that I'm trying to lead in my family. It's not always popular. It's not always easy, um, but it is the right thing to do. You guys, one of the most important ways I think that I am, I am trying to lead my family is by getting into God's word and sharing God's word. Now, a lot of times Lexi's not home. She's a college student. She's working. Um, but so I'm kind of talking mainly right now about me and Joe and Parker because we're, we're always together, um, even when Lexi's not here. So when I do Bible curriculum with Parker, if I'm going to do it in the evening, I try to do it with Joe and Bible reading and things like that. So like I said, if I don't break out the Bible, nobody else does. So it's, it's something that I think if you're not trying to grow your relationship with Christ, For me to come over and grab the remote and maybe turn the TV off and say, okay, it's time for Bible time or whatever, um, that person or some people may feel irritated by that because you guys, we, all we want to do is consume. All we want to do is be entertained, right? So especially if you're on social media, if you're on YouTube, if any of that kind of stuff, um, to some people stopping what you're doing and reading the Bible sounds kind of boring, right? You're like, oh my goodness, I don't understand half of it. The words are hard to uh, say, you know. So, but it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm telling you, you guys, they will start to grow to learn. I'm sorry. They will start to grow to love the word of God. And then we're going to start talking about the stories. And then you start dissecting it. And then it comes up in conversation later. So trust me when I say the uncomfortableness doesn't last forever. They may not be in that place yet with their relationship with Christ, where they actually have the desire to spend time with him, right? There, There's a huge difference between getting your Bible out for five minutes every morning because you feel obligated to do so, checking the box and saying you did your devotion versus are you really studying God's word? Like take that chapter, break it down, write out the sentences, look up the words you don't understand, pray about what you just read. You know, there's a huge difference there, you guys. And not everybody yet has the desire to really grow with their relationship with Christ. So it's going to be annoying to the people in your home that are not there yet. 
But all you can do is encourage and stay faithful and continue to be the salt and the light. I was reading in the Bible the other day, and uh, just a little side note. Um, like I said, it's been really challenging learning this new relationship with Lexi, having an adult child living in my home. What are the boundaries? Uh, it's been kind of crazy. So my rules have always been simple. Sure, you can stay here. Um while you're going to college, but my house rules still apply and they're very easy. If they do not align with the word of God, then you're not going to be doing it in my house. So we're not going to be bringing all kinds of guys up in here all hours of the night. We're not going to be doing drugs. We're not going to be drinking underage and getting all crazy. We're not going to this and we're not going to that. It's very simple. You know, we had, we had a little bit of challenges with that and it was like God gave this message to me right at the perfect moment. Doesn't he always? <laughs> and the Bible said that it is not our job to convict someone's heart. It is not our job, you guys. It's not our responsibility. So can I just take a load of bricks off your shoulders for a second? If you have a spouse that maybe isn't growing in their relationship with the Lord the way that you feel you're trying to do, or you have a child or another family member that's not quite there, it's not your job to convict them. It's not your job to transform them. As a witness of Christ, it's your job to do just that, witness to them. Show them the light by living unto Christ the way that we're supposed to, and they're going to see that coming off of you. So the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict their heart and to transform them. When I read that, you guys, a light bulb went off for me. I literally sat back on the couch and sat my Bible in my lap and I was like, really? So this whole time that I've been hounding Lexi about going to church with us, because y'all, when she before she turned 18, her little butt was in church with us whether she wanted to be there or not. But now that she's grown, I'm giving her that freedom to choose if she wants to go to church with us on Sundays or not. I don't make her come sit down and do Bible reading with us. Um, I don't regulate what she's doing on her phone. I don't regulate the music she's listening to in her car. You know, she's got a job, you guys. She's paying her own bills. She's paying rent to live here. So there comes a point where you have to release them and say, okay, you do you, boo, but you know how I feel. And you know that as long as you live in my home, I am going to have an opinion on things and I am going to share with you when I'm concerned. But I was like, Lord, you mean it's not my job to change her? It's not my job to make her want to go to church and, you know, get involved and come read the Bible with us in the living room. That, it's not my job. And the Lord said, no, it's not my job to convict her. What is my job is for my little butt to get up and go to church on Sundays and lead my family. It's my job to break out the Bible and continue reading it where she can hear it up in her room or when she comes downstairs and she's doing the dishes. It's my job to be kind spirited to her. If there is an issue and I need to point it out to her, um, there's there's a way to do that. Same thing when we just talk about nagging or nudging, right? It's the same thing with Lexi and our, our children. There's a way to get a good response and there's a way to get a bad response. So the Lord said, no, you're to do what I've called you to do. And then you let me work on Lexi's heart. Same with Joe. You do what you're supposed to do and let me work on Joe's heart. And oh, by the way, pray, pray 
for those loved ones that you have that aren't where they should be. There is power in prayer, you guys. And sometimes even I struggle with this, but we are supposed to pray for the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts and transform them. And don't grow weary in that. Don't grow weary, my friends. So I'm sure that a lot of you have um, heard of the Proverbs 31 woman, right? This is like the um, woman in the Bible that we should all aspire to be. And I think that there are some traits of this Proverbs 31 woman that are so important for us to understand and for us to strive towards. So I wanted to just quickly read this to you guys so that you can see a couple of things. One, godly women are to be strong. Godly women are to lead. We are to disciple our children. So if you're thinking, well, you know, my husband isn't really, uh, he's not there. He, he doesn't want to read the Bible or he's not really into going to church with me. Um, okay, so you need to keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and continue discipling your children. Let me just share the Proverbs 31 woman with you guys. And then you can kind of think about that and we'll chat about it. So Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with her eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. Boom. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Y'all, hello. Um, I want to be like the Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, that is like the, the picture of what we should strive to be. And you know what I see when I read that? She is strong. She is confident. She is in the business of her children and her husband and her household. She works hard. She is smart. She loves the Lord. You guys, she's a leader in her family. You know, we talked about the chain of command, right? Our husbands are supposed to lead us. But as women, as wife, as mothers, we are also supposed to lead. We have such an important role. Such an important role. So let's just talk for a second about um, a couple of women in the Bible. And I was going to talk about 
several of them and I really got stuck on Esther. So I don't know if you guys have read the book of the Bible, Esther. Um, it's really, really quite interesting. So Esther was a strong and courageous woman, you guys. She is such an example of um, fearing the Lord and swallowing her fear and being brave and doing what was right. So Esther was Jewish and she was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. The king at the time, his name was King Xerxes, and he had a wife, a queen, and one day he summoned her to come to him and she defiantly said no and she didn't go to him. Well, all of the um, elders or whatever you want to call them came to the king and they're like, oh, uh-uh, you let your wife disobey you like that? If if she disobeys you like that, all the other wives are going to pick up on that and think they can start being disrespectful. Like, you need to do something about this. So King Xerxes was like, oh, you guys are right. I can't let her disrespect me like that. So... What he did was, is he basically banished his his wife and the his friends were all like, well, what we'll do is we'll bring other virgins to you. We'll line them up and you can choose the one that you like. And the king was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. So in doing that, they went out into all the, the far lands in the kingdom and they brought in these virgins to meet the king. And one of them was Esther. Now, at the time, the Jewish people were, they were not liked very much. Okay. So Esther and her cousin Mordecai were like, we have to keep it a secret what our nationality is. We have to keep our background a secret. We can't let the king know and his men know that we're Jews because that's going to be an issue. So lo and behold, King Xerxes took, um, a liking to Esther. She was beautiful and well put together, and he fell for Esther out of all of the women, right? This is a really ironic story. I think it's um, it's kind of funny how ironic it is. So at one point, there was a guy named Haman, and King Xerxes, for whatever reason, um, put him in an elevated, honorable seat and had much admiration of him. He he really liked the guy. So he just gave him this position of authority and power in the kingdom. And Haman wanted everybody to bow down to him. Well, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And Haman's soldiers were like, yo, man, you going to let this guy disrespect you? He's not bowing down to you. Like, what are you going to do about it? And Haman's like, you know what? You're right. Like, I, I want him. I want him dead. Like, I want to kill Mordecai. And not only Mordecai, I want to kill all the other Jews, right? So he went to the king, to King Xerxes, and he said, you know, put out a decree that we're going to go into all the lands in the kingdom and we're going to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai finds out about what Haman has done. Haman has found out somehow that Mordecai is a Jew and he's just decided that all Jews need to die, including Mordecai. So Mordecai has a message sent to Esther. Now, the king, like I said, found favor on Esther. He really liked her. He put a crown on her head and he made Esther his queen. So here Esther is, you know, living in the kingdom and living um, kind of a lie. She's not letting the king know her background, that she's actually a Jew also. So Mordecai comes to, um, or he has a message sent to Esther about what has happened and that the king has agreed with Haman and has this decree that all of her people, all the Jews are going to be annihilated, essentially. And he's like, 
but you've got to go to the king. You, you've got to get word into him. You have to plead for our lives, you know, on our behalf. But the law back then said that nobody could approach the king unless they were summoned by the king, not even the queen. Now it had already been, the Bible says it had been 30 days since Esther saw the king. So Esther sends a message back to Mordecai and she's like, I can't do that. She's like, I'll surely die. Like I can't, I'm not supposed to approach him. And Mordecai says to her, what makes you think that some one day he's not going to find out that you're a Jew? Eventually, he's going to find out you're a Jew also, and you're going to be killed as well. And Mordecai says to her, who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? You guys, can we just relate that to our culture really quick? Who is to say that you, moms, haven't been called for such a time as this? In our culture, the things that we're seeing right now, you guys, we have been called to step up in our fear of the Lord and speak truth and be the salt and light in our homes to our children's and even to our husbands. So I, I just really thought that that was an eye opener. Mordecai is like, who's to say that you haven't been put in this position of royalty for this moment right now? God is using you to potentially save his people. So Esther asked Mordecai and the Jews to fast for her for three days. And after the three days, she would approach the king, even if it meant her life would be on the line, even if it meant that she would be killed for breaking the law. So the king allowed her to enter and Esther asked the king if they could have a banquet and to invite Haman to this banquet. So they go to this banquet and after the king and Haman had been drinking a little bit, she basically says, let's have another banquet. Let's have a banquet tomorrow. And then tomorrow I'll reveal my request to you. Now, why did she delay this? I don't really know for sure. I'm sure that there's probably some kind of reason behind it. But Haman was taunted by the fact that Mordecai continued to be disobedient. He still wouldn't bow down to Haman. Haman went home and complained to his wife and his family about Mordecai. And he was just so upset and complaining. His family was like, well, why don't you have a huge pole constructed and have Mordecai impaled? Have him killed tomorrow morning. And that way, when you go to the banquet with the king, you can enjoy yourself without stressing about Mordecai. Right? Like crazy. They're like, oh, just put him on a pole. Just kill him. <laughs> so the Bible tells us that previously, Mordecai had learned of two men that were plotting to kill the king, King Xerxes. And Mordecai reported it to Esther. And the two men that were plotting to kill the king were killed. Now, the night before this banquet, the king, the Bible says the king was having a hard time sleeping. So he was reading his chronicles and he learned what Mordecai had done for him. That Mordecai essentially saved his life by getting the word out that these two men were plotting to kill him. And the king says to his men, what was done with this man Mordecai? How was he rewarded for saving my life? Was, was anything done for him after what he did? And his men were like, no, no, he didn't get rewarded. And Haman came to the king and the king told Haman, he said, what should I do for the man that the king delights in? So he's asking Haman's opinion of what he should do to reward Mordecai for saving his life, basically. But the thing is, Haman, being as arrogant as he was, thought that the king was talking about him. He thought the king was saying that he was so delighted in him. What should I do to reward you? So Haman rattles on with this craziness. And he's like, oh, you should give that man one of the king's horses, one that he's ridden on himself. Oh, and you should give him one of the king's robes that he's worn. And you should parade him around the city and tell everyone how much you delight in him. And so the king says to Haman, okay, go 
and do this to Mordecai. Can you guys just imagine Haman's face? Like here he laid out this amazing reward that he thought was meant for him. And all along it was meant for Mordecai. And not only that, the king told Haman, okay, you go get Mordecai, go give him one of my horses, go give him one of my robes and go parade him around the city for what he has done and tell everybody that I delight in him. So y'all know that Haman was all sorts of ticked off, right? He does what the king says. He goes and parades Mordecai around the city. And then he goes home to his wife and his family again and does nothing but complain about it. Like he is so upset. So the next day, the king and Haman attend Esther's banquet where she partitions the king for her life and the life of all of her people. The king asked her, who dares to kill you? Who's trying to kill you? Because remember, at this point, he doesn't know that she's a Jew. He's like, who is this that dares to kill you? And she says, Haman, this evil man, Haman. Well, the king was enraged. So then it says that the king was so upset when he found out Haman was trying to kill Esther and her people that he left and went to go on a walk in the garden. And at that point, Haman came to Esther and was begging for his life, basically begging her, you know, on his behalf, go to the king, like, don't let me die. How ironic is that, right? Here, Haman is trying to kill her and all her people. And now he's begging Esther for his life. So the king ordered Haman, you guys get this. This is where it gets ironic. The king comes back. And he orders Haman to be impaled on the very pole that he had set up to kill Mordecai. So Haman was impaled and killed on the very pole that he had constructed the day before to have Mordecai killed on. The king had a new decree drafted to overturn the previous decree to have the Jews killed and gave the Jews the right to assemble and live peacefully and kill anyone that tried to harm them. And the Bible goes on to talk about the Jews and how they were in celebration over this and how joyful they were. So you guys, I look at Esther and what a strong woman she was, right? I think of like, I mean, you guys got to think about this. When she actually went before the king, think of how scared she was. She was breaking the law by approaching the king without being summoned, number one. Number two, at the banquet, when she calls out Haman, in front of the king, or she calls out Haman right there to the king, right in front of Haman. How scary would that be? It's a confrontation, right? And back then, women were not really viewed with much respect as it is. So for her to get up there and be like, yo, this dude Haman, he's the one. He's trying to kill me and my people. It took a lot of courage. So I just want to remind you guys, In this culture that we're living in, sometimes it takes us getting uncomfortable. It requires confrontation. And I've heard it said, a bold lie requires a bold truth. And that's so true, you guys. I wanted to go in on more of the women of the Bible and we're running out of time. I've gone on a little bit long here. So I'm going to leave it with Esther um, and also the Proverbs 31 woman. But I just want to encourage you guys that we are not just here. We have an important role. We need to be brave. We need to be courageous. And not just in the culture, but in our own homes. Sometimes we can't control what's going on in the culture, you guys. Sometimes all we can control is what's going on in our home. And by golly, if that means you are the only one in the home initiating the, the growing relationship with Christ and teaching your children about Christ or encouraging 
and praying for your husband to join you in that pursuit, then you do that. How long do you do that? You do it until the Lord calls you home. Sometimes, you guys, we don't understand why things happen the way they do. Only God can tell us that when we get to heaven, right? But I just want to encourage you that you're not alone um, if you're struggling with any of these things that we've talked about. And sometimes it can feel like you're alone. And sometimes it can feel like you're very resentful because you're the only one putting forth any effort. But your children are going to remember that. Your spouse is going to remember that. And we have to be the salt and the light. Don't put the bowl over yourself. Shine so bright in your home that you're like a mosquito light. They all just come flocking to you. You know what I mean? I mean, shine so bright that they can't help but see you and want to know what is up with that. What is that all about? Give me some of that, right? And in your change of spirit, you guys, they're going to see that difference in you. And I promise you, they're going to come around and they're going to want some of that. Remember Colossians 3.23, everything you do, do it heartily as if working unto the Lord and not for men. So I hope that this show today has been encouraging to you guys. It was on my heart to share that with you um, and just be a little transparent with some of the struggles here that I have at home and how I'm trying to be the salt and light in my own home. And it does honestly feel at times like it's just me. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling that way, you're not the only one. And we can push through this together because God calls us to do that. Be the salt and light, you guys. I hope you have an amazing week. Thanks for hanging out with me today, my friends. I hope that this has been helpful or an encouragement to you in some way. Let's connect on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Blessed and Beautiful Homestead. And while you're at it, head on over to my blog, blessedandbeautifulhomestead.com. If you are so inclined, it would be wonderful if you could take a moment just to leave a quick review for my podcast at Apple Podcast. I read all of your reviews and I am so grateful for them. And also, don't forget, if this is one of your favorite podcasts, share it with a friend and spread the word. Until next time, stay blessed, and I look forward to seeing you on the next show.